Hey. Welcome to my humble abode here in the swamp. I'm your local creature, Caro Narby. In the spirit of Halloween, I felt like I ought to try to portray myself more accurately as the grotesque fen creature that I am. Now, I'm not in fact a bog creature. In case anyone didn't know this, apparently there's a distinct difference between a bog and a fen. Bogs are acidic, whereas fens are alkaline and tend to have a lot of minerals dissolved in the water, and this affects the kind of plant life that grows in each respective area. Anyway, I didn't do an episode last week, and so this week I wanted to do a double episode where I discuss two films that I think are thematically very similar. I have an academic background in media analysis, which is really kind of more sad than impressive. Like, don't think that I'm bragging or anything. Anybody can, and really I think everybody does, critically engage with the media that they consume, regardless of what their educational background might be. I just mentioned the fact that I come out of academia because I really would love to give a lecture, like a conference presentation, called The Antichrist is Gay. And it would be an analysis and comparison of the two films that I'm going to talk about in this episode, the 1978 film Damien, Omen 2, and the 2013 film The Last Exorcism Part 2. These are both sequels to very good movies, and both of them are significantly overshadowed by their respective original films. The Omen, which came out in 1976, is of course considered a horror classic. Satanic horror is probably my favorite subgenre, but even so, I don't think The Omen is quite as good as its reputation suggests. The music is great, of course, and Billy Whitelaw's performance is fabulous, but Gregory Peck gives such a dull performance as the protagonist that it's hard to really care what happens to him. Also, as I've mentioned in other episodes, I really hate the archetype of the evil child, and I'll come back to that a little bit when I talk about The Omen 2. The Last Exorcism is a found footage movie released in 2010, and I really like it. I might come back to it for a future episode of this podcast because there are a few things I would have done differently in terms of the story, but overall it's a really solid and compelling exorcism movie. The performances really hold the film together, especially Ashley Bell's performance as Nell. Both The Omen 2 and The Last Exorcism 2 continue their respective stories in ways that are very logical and yet at the same time very unexpected. Horror sequels tend to lose sight of the story entirely and just retread the same visual tropes and plot contrivances over and over again. These two movies, though, are unusually character-driven for mainstream horror. Both films take the antagonist from the first movie and recenter them as the protagonist. Both characters are adolescents in their respective sequels. Damien, of course, is only a very young child in The Omen. And both Damien and Nell struggle with their identity, with figuring out and coming to terms with who they are. Both of them happen to turn out to be the Antichrist, or the agent of the apocalypse, and both characters are coded as gay. And I'm not just being flip, I'm not just applying an aberrant reading for my own sake because I happen to be an enormous homosexual myself. Queer coding of the main characters is a central component of what each of these films is fundamentally about. The Omen 2 is about masculinity, and how socialization toward hegemonic masculinity hurts boys. The Last Exorcism 2 is about women's self-love, and how radical it is for women to really know and love themselves, and lesbianism is kind of tied up as part of that, sort of as an external expression of women loving themselves and each other. So I recently rewatched both of these movies, and I guess I'll talk first about The Omen 2, about what I really like about it, and about where the film falls short. I love the story that this movie tells. Damien Thorne, as I said, is centered as the protagonist, and the movie is about his coming to terms with who he is and with his expected role. Part of the reason why the original movie, The Omen, left me feeling unsatisfied or kind of rubbed me the wrong way, really, is that it vilifies a very young child. In The Omen, Damien barely has any lines. He has no agency or interiority at all. He never acts in a way that you can really say is villainous. 
It's always others who are acting on his behalf or manipulating the events around him. Gregory Peck's objection to killing, really murdering his own son, always comes down to the fact that he's only a child, and that's portrayed as a fatal flaw in Gregory Peck's character. The fact that he has the sense of compassion and horror, the fact that he's not willing to murder a five-year-old. I was recently posting about the second film on Facebook, and one of my friends asked, are these movies just about child abuse? And I think, you know, I don't know if I could say sort of straight out like that, that the Omen films are about child abuse. But I do think that every story about an evil child ends up being some kind of apologism for abuse. Because these kinds of stories affirm and validate adults' sort of negative feelings about children. Like the idea that children are creepy or amoral or conniving or burdensome. And I just think that's where the whole trope comes from. Like all of the feelings bound up in adults' collective resentment of children. And I'm not trying to say that it's shameful or abnormal to not feel totally positive about kids all the time, even about your own kids. But those negative emotions, even while you acknowledge them, need to be tempered by the understanding that children, first and foremost, are people, but also that they're a sort of special class of people who are not fully cognitively developed and who are completely dependent on and vulnerable to adults. So these stories that feature an evil child always end up portraying the abuse or violence or any kind of harm perpetrated by adults against the child as justified, and portraying any compassion or nurturing impulse as naive and as a mistake. And this is an irresponsible kind of ethos to promote in a real-life environment where adults have such overwhelming power over children, and where abuse committed by adults against children is so rampant, and where some forms of abuse honestly are normalized. So speaking of the normalization of abuse, part of why I love, not even just like, The Omen 2 is because the film ultimately is about how certain accepted or normalized expressions of masculinity are really sinister and devastating to boys themselves and to the world at large. The Satanists in the film are white men in positions that are closely associated with prestige and success. They're decorated military men and corporate executives. The film pretty deftly, I'd say, shows how hegemonic masculinity is intertwined with whiteness and wealth and capitalism and the military-industrial complex and imperialism. And so Damien Thorne, our protagonist, is being groomed and coerced toward this kind of very powerful and very violent masculinity. Damien is partly caught up in the allure of being special and of feeling powerful, like anyone might be, but he also resists. He's not evil, and in fact he's portrayed as being very sensitive. His defining character trait is how much he loves his cousin, and that's where the gay coding really comes through most obviously, because it really seems like Damien is in love with his cousin Mark. Damien is just really well cast in this movie as this small, slight, thoughtful-looking boy who often seems to be on the verge of tears, honestly. And there are a couple scenes where he does cry. Damien is extremely sympathetic in this movie, and that's a tremendous strength of the film. There are a couple really powerful emotional scenes. When Damien realizes who and what he is, and he breaks down, you really feel the weight of his despair and loneliness. There is no one in the world whom he can safely confide in about what he's feeling. Every adult who knows who he is either wants to kill him or control him. And the scene where he ultimately confronts Mark is genuinely really tragic. Damien's entire arc as a character is portrayed as tragedy. He assumes his role as Antichrist in the end, not because that's what he wants, but because all of his relationships and genuine emotional connections have been destroyed, and he feels like nothing else is possible for him. It's really the best and most compelling way to tell a story like this. 
Whereas in The Omen, Damien is a small child with zero interiority or control. In The Omen 2, he is an adolescent, and the whole story is about his psychological and emotional development. And the film is really successful at telling that story. It's a pretty good little drama that happens to be about the Antichrist. Where it fails, and fails hard, is as a horror movie. It's just not scary, and the attempts to make it scary fall flat or come off as ridiculous. For some reason, the dogs that were the main threatening motif in The Omen, that were implicitly the familiars of the satanic cabal behind Damien's birth, are totally absent. They've been replaced by crows, which are obviously very classically associated with horror and with gothic kind of media in general, but crows just aren't threatening. Partly because they're so overplayed, and partly because it's just hard to be scared of a bird. The deaths are sort of over the top, and they're made completely ridiculous by the intrusion of really goofy musical cues. The ominous music and sound work that helped bolster the original movie are totally absent, and the famous Omen theme doesn't play at all until the end credits. There's definitely a degree to which the absurd deaths kind of add a charm to the film, and I would especially recommend this movie to anybody who can appreciate a well-told story and who would also be endeared by the really goofy attempts at horror. On a certain level, this film isn't almost good, it's just genuinely good and sort of undeservedly obscure. If I were going to fix the movie and smooth over those goofier parts of it, I would have kept in the dogs and the musical theme and pursued better sound work overall, and the death scenes could have been done in ways that were more about tension and subtlety than shock, or at least in a way that balanced shock with gradual buildup of tension so that they meshed better with the overall tone of the film. But even as is, The Omen 2 is definitely worth watching, and I recommend it to anyone who is familiar with the first movie. The Last Exorcism Part 2 similarly focuses on character development as the driving force of the narrative. Much like ghost stories, most exorcism movies are about trauma, and demons seem to represent a more immediate and personal experience of trauma than ghosts do. Confronting ghosts is often about properly dealing with the lingering effects of some traumatic event or injustice. Demons are about ongoing trauma or its immediate aftermath and processing intensely painful experiences and feelings in such a way that you're able to avoid self-destruction or the destruction of people around you. The Last Exorcism Part 2 is really mostly a very quiet, slow character study that follows the continuing story of Nell as she processes the events of the first movie. It's about Nell deciding who she is and who she wants to be in the face of different authority figures pulling her in different directions. I like this movie a lot, in large part because of the story. So often, in stories that feature demonic possession, the demon really is a foil for the exorcist, or some other non-possessed protagonist, and the possessed character is part of that device more than she is her own person with her own arc. The Last Exorcism 2 is entirely about Nell's interiority and development, and despite the slow burn, the movie keeps your attention because Ashley Bell is so mesmerizing to watch. As I mentioned at the beginning, this movie is about an adolescent girl who, in the face of trauma and of the people around her trying to control her, learns to love herself and finds power in her capacity for self-love. As part of that theme of women learning to love themselves, there is a definite element of lesbian subtext, of women learning to love each other. There are a few scenes that establish a level of sexual tension between Nell and one of the other girls in the group home. There is a male love interest, but he is portrayed as a kind of rival with the demon for Nell's affection. An absolutely key, and I think really refreshing aspect of this film, is that the demon is very clearly part of Nell herself. I think that's generally implicitly true in possession movies, but this film makes that, if not absolutely unambiguously explicit, pretty clear, and definitely a deliberate focus of the story. 
My favorite part of the movie is the reveal of the demon at the climax, when it appears as a masked figure and removes its mask to reveal itself as a doppelganger of Nell. The demon is some aspect of Nell's self or psyche that she has been repressing, and when it comes time to make a crucial decision about who she wants to be, she chooses to embrace this aspect of herself. As much as this film departs so radically from the style and story structure of the first movie, these themes don't come totally out of nowhere. In The Last Exorcism, the protagonist's producer, a character who is definitely strongly coded as a lesbian, if not explicitly a lesbian, gives Nell her own pair of bright red Doc Martens. The Last Exorcism Part 2 really cleverly, I think, carries through that motif of the sin-colored docks as a symbol of this taboo love women might experience for themselves and for each other. This might even be interpreted as women's original sin. Nell's interactions with the demon, who is so often just a mirror image of herself, bring to mind the lines in Book 4 of Paradise Lost, where Milton imagines Eve as falling in love with her own reflection. The Last Exorcism Part 2 is a really surprisingly well-done movie overall. You would expect it to be a lazy cash-in, but it's just not that at all. It has some very compelling scenes, Ashley Bell's performance is wonderful, as always, and the movie mostly seems pretty well-written and well-paced. I really don't mind that things take such a dramatic and sudden turn in the last quarter or so of the movie, because it does feel like the movie is steadily building up to something. The only complaints that I have are that some of the effects are a little cheap-looking, like a little bit corny, and that the ending definitely stumbles. It seems like they couldn't quite settle on a really strong ending. I do think that it's okay to end on the start of Nell's new beginning. In fact, I think that's where the story should end. They just could have cut it off sooner, I think. I would have maybe ended on a sequence where we see Nell putting on the Red Doc Martens, and then the final shot is of Nell standing on the threshold of the group home, ready to step out into the world as the Queen of Hell. Maybe she breaks the fourth wall and looks into the camera and gives us a smile as she steps out of frame and the house and we, the audience, are engulfed in flames. When Damien Thorne accepts that he is the Antichrist, he is stepping into a normative role and fulfilling the expectations of authority figures. He's doing what he's supposed to do, because he feels as though he has no other choice. His story is a tragedy about resignation and despair in the face of society's demands. When Nell accepts her role as the conduit for apocalyptic destruction, as the Antichrist in essence, she is making a radical and subversive choice. She is defying the role that she is expected to play, and instead choosing to be true to herself and to her desires. Both movies tell a similar story from very different angles. Both of these movies are surprisingly competent, and they're also really bold in terms of the direction that they take with their respective stories. And I think maybe that latter attribute might be a contributing factor to their relative obscurity. People who liked The Omen because of its fantastical premise and steadily building madness might not have been ready to watch an emotional drama about a sad boy. People who liked The Last Exorcism for its promise of escalating shocks might not have been into a slow-burning character study that doesn't have any real shocking moments until the last five minutes. Upon rewatching both of these movies, I feel like I'm kind of stretching even to categorize them as almost good. Neither of them ever fucks up to such a degree that the film is somehow ruined for me. Unlike most of the other movies that I've talked about so far, these are films that I would watch again, all the way through, just for fun. The Omen 2 and The Last Exorcism Part 2 aren't almost good, they're almost great. If you haven't seen them, I definitely encourage anybody who is interested to check them out. Once again, this has been Almost Good. Happy Halloween, and thanks for listening.